Hello, Springbrook Vineyard. My name is Clint, and I'm going to be reading our two gospel lessons for us this morning. The first comes from Matthew 15, and this is verses 29 through 31. Verse 29 says this, Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and climbed a hill and sat down. A vast crowd brought him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking. The crippled were made well, and the lame were walking, and the blind could see again. They praised the God of Israel. Our, sec our second scripture lesson comes from Mark 7. This is verses 31 through 37. Verse 31 says this, Jesus left Tyre and went up to Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of Ten Towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Then, spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, which means be opened. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed, and he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone, but the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. Verse 37 says that they were completely amazed, and he said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak. This is the gospel of Christ. Uh, once a few years ago, I was at a party for my friend Kristen. It was her birthday. And there was a whole group of us sitting around a table and we're talking and laughing and eating and drinking and telling stories and, and celebrating Kristen. And at one point, um, when all of the people were still in the room and all of the people were still circled around the table, Kristen leaned over to me and whispered in my ear, I'm pregnant. A and she was. Uh, and to know me is to know that I'm expressive, some have said overly expressive, and I'm excitable, again, some have said overly excitable, uh, but I love good news and I love celebrating. And in this moment, Kristen is whispering really exciting news to me in a room full of people that would be very excited to know this. But, but I know that in this moment that the news is not for everybody in the room yet. Uh, and in this moment, Kristen is dying laughing, like dying laughing because she realizes the torture that she has just inflicted on me uh, because uh, my face can't show that I know anything different and my words can't say that I know anything different and I just have to hold this perfect, exciting, amazing secret in my own brain and in my heart in front of a room full of people who are already celebrating. And I just wonder if, if this is like a tiny glimpse um, of what it was like for the friends of this man in, in the moment Jesus heals their buddy and then he tells them not to tell anything in the, in the passage from Mark that, that Clint just read to us. Jesus, he healed the body of their friend and then he says not to say anything. Uh, let's go back. I want to I look at the story from the beginning. Mark tells us that a man was brought to Jesus by a group of people who was deaf. And in other translations, we find out that he was also mute or struggled with speech. It's a man who uh, could not hear and who struggled to be heard. 
This man, he was brought to Jesus and his friends begged Jesus for to lay his hands on him and to heal the man. And it's this, this touching moment in the gospels, a, a group of people sure of the power of Jesus. Uh, they bring a man to Jesus who they believe is in need of that power and they beg Jesus to heal him. And I think what Jesus does is so impactful in this moment. It's one of my favorite moments um, in all of the stories of Jesus. It's one I come back to over and over and over again. Uh, Jesus, um, he, he sees this man in a group of people, but he does this thing. He, he pulls him aside. He pulls the man away from the crowd so that they could be alone. And in this kind of unsanitary, I don't know, I guess it's unsanitary. Really, when you read it during the middle of a health crisis, it feels like, really unsanitary to think of spitting in someone else's mouth. But in this possibly unsanitary but incredibly intimate moment, Jesus heals this man in a way that makes sense to the man. He, he heals him in his own language. Jesus, he pulls him away and he looks at him eye to eye, man to man. It doesn't take much digging to find that in uh, the culture of Jesus's day, um, inclusion and acceptance and honor was often based on what had culturally been constructed as perfection or close to it. Sometimes it's humiliating to see how not very far we've come in thousands of years. Uh, this man, he has two imperfections that we know of, his hearing and his speech. And so I think it's not too crazy to assume that he would have been excluded and disconnected, unwelcomed or unvalued for these things. There's a chance that he had never before been looked at eye to eye, man to man, quite like the way Jesus looked at him. I'm sure in his lifetime, he had been a connoisseur of looks, a connoisseur of the eyes of people looking at him with disappointment or judgment or fear, or maybe worst of all, pity. But Jesus, Jesus who is always uh, making us more human, Jesus who is always restoring in us the image of God, the Imago Dei, uh, in this moment, Jesus looks eye to eye with this man. And there are pieces of this man's humanity that were restored before Jesus ever touched him or said any words. There was a restoration of dignity and value and worth simply in the intimacy of looking at someone eye to eye, one-on-one, -on -one, man to man. And then uh, the restoring and the healing continues. Jesus uh, looks at the man, but then he moves into action and, and he touches him. Jesus speaks to the man in a language that, that he can hear, that he can understand. And so Jesus, he, he puts his ears into the man's, or his fingers into the man's ears, and then he spits on his hands and he touches the man's tongue. Jesus physically touches what is broken and he brings with him restoration, with his touch, restoration. And then um, another curious moment uh, for me happens. Jesus, he looks at heaven and before he ever speaks a word, Mark tells us he sighs. Another translation uh, calls it a deep sigh. Another one still call, says that Jesus groaned mightily. This moment is so curious to me. The sigh in between the touch and the healing. The pause in between the physical and the spiritual pieces of the healing. Jesus, he looks to heaven and he groans for the pains of the world. 
There are other moments like this captured in the gospel. There's a moment a few chapters earlier in Mark chapter one when Jesus says something similar with a leper. Uh, Then in that description, Mark tells us that similar to the deep sigh, Mark uses the words, he says, Jesus was moved to compassion when he saw the leper. In compassion, it's this, um, it's kind of a tricky word to unpack. It's sort of mysterious and hard to nail down. It's compassion is something different than mercy. It's something beyond sympathy. It's something with heart and soul and angst. Uh, We've talked about this before at the Vineyard, but I definitely think it's worth repeating over and over and over again. The, The Greek word for compassion is splankna. And splankna, um, it has kind of a long history as a word, but, but it came to be used to, re, uh, to refer to the inside, the inward parts of an animal that was used for an animal sacrifice. The, the insides, the kidney, the liver, the lungs, the best and most tender and vulnerable parts of the insides. Splankna is essentially a description of the inward part of the inward being. And in these stories with Jesus, we have Jesus face to face with broken men and we see him moved in his most inward places. It's something deeper than a feeling. It's, it's a movement of the soul. Uh, essentially, and I, um, I'm sorry to all of the counselors who might be listening because I'm about to oversimplify this, but essentially there are three realms of human consciousness. There's um, the consciousness of the body, there's the consciousness of the mind, and there's the consciousness of the soul or of the spirit. And our body, it feels through our senses, touch and taste and smell and, and sight and hearing. And, and our minds, they feel through reason, experience, vision, analyzation, feelings, all, all, all kinds of things. And, and then I read something super compelling this week that said that the feeling or the consciousness of the soul, the feeling or the consciousness of the spirit is splankna. The soul feeling splankna is this divine and human feeling, a connecting and a binding. It's, it's hopeful and mourning feeling. It's all of these things wrapped into one. It is an inward soul feeling of compassion that, that moves the inward part of our inward being. And I think this is what we see with Jesus in his sigh. A mighty groan of the soul a deep sigh of the spirit of the inward part of his inward being, an acknowledgement within him that things are not how they're supposed to be, that human beings were made to hear and, and made to speak. In our other lesson uh, from Matthew that Clint read today, we see the same story from a different point of view. We find out that this one intimate moment with Jesus and this one man, it exists within the story of Jesus healing a massive amount of people. Uh, Verse 30 of Matthew 15 says, a vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak and many others. And they laid them before Jesus and he healed them all. The verses, they go on to describe the compassion, the splankna of Jesus to the sea of broken people that sat in front of him. Uh, What we see in Jesus in this moment on the, the Sea of Galilee is both the longing for things to be made right and the practice of things being made right. 
And I think that's an incredibly important thing for us to notice today. We, we see in this moment of the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God, we see it in the longing, the deep groan, and we see it in the practice, the healing of a man who, who couldn't hear and then could, who couldn't speak and then could. I, I think it's incredibly important because part of what Jesus is always doing is teaching and training his people to be who he called them to be to be the church, to practice the kingdom of God on earth. And we have this example of Jesus face to face with what has played out in a man's life to be injustice and oppression and segregation. And and we see his response of both mourning and anguish over where the man is. And then the cry out to heaven to bring the hope and healing of the kingdom. This is the role of the church in the world. Part of our job is to be the living expression of Jesus, the great hope of the world. Part of our job is to see and acknowledge what is wrong, what is broken, what is aching to be put back to right. And then joining God in the renewal of all things. Joining God in the renewal of all things, it looks like uh, making room and space for lament and longing, for deep groans and sighs, for wherever we see broken and injustice or oppression or panic. And then practicing the kingdom there. Bringing hope and healing and the power of the kingdom there crying out to God to heal our land or our people and then putting our hands in their ears, so to speak, and spitting on tongues, so to speak, to practice what it is that we claim to believe, to practice with our words and our cries and our prayers and with our hands and feet and voices and brains, the restoration of humanity, the humanity of the image of God inside us, the Imago Dei. We said it a few weeks ago and we plan to say it uh, a lot consistently and clearly. The church has been tasked with the protection of the Imago Dei, of the image of God and humanity. This is why we've done the same call to worship week after week after week. And so to bring it to light today in light of this, where we are uh, as a community and as a, as a country in light of the task of protecting the honor and dignity and flourishing of humanity, I, I just can't figure out why we, why I and we have spent so much time and brain space asking questions like, is the coronavirus real or is racism real? And I just want to say this, uh, for our cities, for our communities, for our people, just because we don't personally know someone who has had the coronavirus doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And just because we haven't been an experiencer of racism or we don't feel racist inside us, that doesn't mean that there isn't something systemic and broken and dangerous to the Imago Dei all over our land. The truth is there is blood in our land and it is our job as Jesus followers to see it and to groan for it and to practice the kingdom of God in the middle of it. Here's the thing. Today, in 2020, in June, we can find videos to support whatever it is that we want to support or want to believe or want to think. If you give me five minutes, I really think that I could find you five uh, videos of someone definitively proving that the coronavirus is a political hoax and five videos of someone uh, definitively proving that the coronavirus is just getting started and is going to erupt bigger and badder than anything that we've seen so far. 
It is called confirmation bias and it fills our brains and whatever news sources we choose to listen to, none of them are exempt. And so asking questions like, is the coronavirus real or is it a political hoax or is racism real or is there a billionaire paying us to think that it's a problem? It it just seems like for kingdom people, these are not the right questions. These are not the right questions for us to be asking. These people, they bring a man to Jesus to get healing. And he doesn't ask any clarifying questions about the truth of the condition of the man. What does he do? He looks the man in the eyes and he sees what is broken and he sees his pain and then he touches him and then he makes his saliva with him, this intimate sign of their humanity being linked and bound together. He groans that the world is not how it should be. And then he practices the kingdom as he cries out to God for healing. And then the man can hear and be heard. And it just seems like that's a model for us, isn't it? It's a model for us. I'm not saying to never ask questions and I'm not saying we're never being lied to or led astray. What I'm saying is that the model of Jesus is a model of compassion. It's a model of splankna, a model of being moved to the inward part of our inward being on behalf of our fellow man. Henry Nouwen says that compassion is born when we discover in the center of our own existence, not only that God is God and man is man, but also that our neighbor is really our fellow man. It's a model that teaches us how to have uh, eyes for the kingdom, how to ask kingdom questions in times of panic and pandemic and injustice and oppression, to have kingdom eyes for the power and the privilege that we walk in. At the end of the story, the man comes back healed and the people are so excited and Jesus tells them to keep quiet, but they can't. And verse 37 says that this, says this, instead of keeping quiet, it says, They were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and he gives speech to those who cannot speak. They say everything he does is wonderful. He restores hearing to the deaf and he gives speech to those who have not had voice. Maybe the best question today is not, is racism today? Is racism a thing today? Maybe the better question is, why do we look at people crying out for justice and not experience compassion, not experience blankness inside of us? And if we do, if we are moved to our guts by what we see and what we hear, maybe the question we could be brave enough to ask is, what am I supposed to do about it? What do you want me to do about it? How can I groan with the kingdom, groaning and practice kingdom practice? Where in my life can the longing and the practice of the kingdom of God meet? What am I blind to or deaf to that, that, I, could, uh, uh, that I need to wake up to? What, where could I have moved that I didn't move? Where have, been, have I been silent when I shouldn't have been silent? Our black and brown brothers and sisters, our neighbors, our fellow men have been crying out for justice and for hope. They have been crying out of oppression that is systemic and longstanding and absolutely still present. And we have listened, some of us have, but not with any sort of consistency required for change. And, and, and then we've made political what is human 
What is human? At this moment in time, our fellow man is crying out, help, something is wrong here. And as Chad said last week, our our deafness and muteness and blindness, it's a question of honor. It is a question of honor, and honor is a kingdom practice. Honoring others uh, in part means learning to listen to the cries of our fellow man. It's, It's being moved to compassion. It's groaning for justice and groaning for change and, and putting our mouths and our hands and our feet toward kingdom healing and kingdom renewal. And here's the thing. Some of you are asking kingdom questions. And as your pastor, I just want to say, good job. Good job and keep going. Keep asking. It's a good thing. It's it's a good thing to find out what's unseen in your life and unheard in your life. We all have blind spots. It's a good thing to ask questions about them. It is a good thing to ask what our role is in the work of restoration and the work of renewal. Keep asking and keep asking. These are kingdom questions, so keep asking them. Don't stop because social media dies down or mainstream media or whatever kind of media uh, dies down. Keep asking these questions. Keep practicing the long obedience of the kingdom of God. My uh, greatest hope as the pastor of this church is that we would learn how to ask what is best for God's kingdom here. How can I join God in the renewing work of his kingdom here? It's a hope uh, that we would become people who learn how to listen uh, for the answer to that question, that, that, we would, uh, that we would be people who would groan in compassion for injustice and brokenness and oppression wherever we find it, in our neighborhoods and school systems and communities and governments and businesses, and learn how to practice the renewal and the restoration of the kingdom of God all over our lives with our cries and our prayers and our hands and our feet. And so before we close up, I just want to say um, to our black and brown brothers and sisters, we have a lot of repenting to do. We have a lot of repenting to do. We have been blind and we have been hard of hearing. We have stood still when we should have moved. We have been quiet when our voices were needed. And for so many years, we haven't asked the right questions. And so we repent We repent to our blindness and we repent to our deafness and our lameness and our muteness that has come at great expense to you. Uh, for our Selah today, uh, every time, every service that we have, we, we take a moment and we uh, just want to be quiet and we want to reflect and we want to pause. That's um, kind of a loose translation of the word Selah is a holy pause or a holy breath. And, and so in order to do that today, I want to um, read something. Um, I think sometimes in the wild, it's really hard to know uh, where to look or who to ask or so many things. Um, And I think it's really easy to look at everything going on and to miss Jesus. And and I don't want to do that. I don't want to miss Jesus. So for our sailor today, I want to read the first gospel lesson that Clint already read to us. And I just want to read it slowly again. And I just want to sit here. And I I want to sit here to know that this is the response of Jesus to whatever is sick inside our bodies or our mind or our societies or our culture or our hospitals, whatever. Jesus can always be found near to the broken, the depressed, the outcast, the segregated, and the dishonored. So for Matthew 15, verses 29 through 31. 
Jesus returned to the Sea of Galilee and he climbed a hill and sat down. A vast crowd brought to him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid, before, they laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. The crowd was amazed. Those who hadn't been able to speak were talking, and the crippled were made well, and the lame were walking, and the blind could see, and they praised the God of Israel. Amen.